0: Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands, the habitat, the hunting, and of course, your favorite bird dogs. From our
1: website at jamiewildart.com, Jamie Carmody writes, I'm an Australian artist and mother with a real passion for wildlife, hunting, and living a subsistence lifestyle. Joining me for our conversation are two of Jamie Carmody's biggest fans, our very own Emily Spoliar and Marissa Jensen, uh, back as frequent podcast guests um, and as you uh, likely could ascertain, Jamie Carmody, an artist from Australia, joins us as our featured guest for this episode of On the Wing podcast. Let's dive in. And um, the the concept for this particular episode has has sort of two different um, originators, but we'll we'll start with Emily Spolier. Um, who, who tapped me and said, we got to get Jamie on a podcast. So, uh, well, um, Emily, you've been on a number of podcasts before, but go ahead and um, uh, give a short introduction um, uh, your background and then why, why uh, Jamie rose in your mind as a podcast uh, guest.
2: Yeah, thanks, Bob. I'm happy to be back on here today. I'm Emily Spoliar. I am a precision ag and conservation specialist based in the heart of pheasant country, um, southwest North Dakota, right around Regent area. I've been on board with Pheasants Forever. It'll be four years in October, which seems crazy um, that it's been so long, but uh, yeah, just I get to work with farmers and landowners every day to help put habitat on the ground and make more birds and uh, help With our different initiatives with R3 and uh, make more hunters and get to do a lot of really awesome stuff out here. But um, as far as why I was interested in having Jamie as a guest on the podcast, uh, if you've seen any of her artwork, I mean, it really just speaks for itself it's incredible. I, every time I see the progression of a piece she's working on, it's, I, I'm just in awe because I don't understand how someone can do that with a colored pencil. (laughs) Um, and you know, just the, the subject matter for her Mm. drawing these, these bird dogs, these working dogs, um, to me, it just strikes a very personal chord because Mm. I have bird dogs and, um, you know, and it's not just a picture of, of, landscape or a picture of a bird it's it's a picture of a member of someone's family and uh so it's just that very emotional connection to each piece of art especially when you think about the fact that you know those dogs aren't going to last forever their lives Ooh. are inevitably way too short um and so to be able to have that lasting piece of artwork that's just incredibly well done um I just think is really special and I think that Jamie does an amazing job of of showing her work and um, being able to capture emotion in the pieces that she creates.
1: Yeah. Right on. And throughout the entire, your entire explanation, Marissa was head nodding the entire way. Cause Mm -hmm. she, uh, Marissa, you wrote about Jamie's art on our website a little better than a year and a half ago. And I, I, we'll start backwards with you. It seems like you had the similar emotional connection with Jamie's artwork, haven't you, Marissa?
0: Yeah, it, I mean, her work is just absolutely incredible. Um, I, I think the first piece that I saw from her was of uh, Danielle Pruitt's dog. Um, Z. I'm gonna say Z because I'm gonna mess up the the whole name. Uh, and it really just kind of grabbed me and um, ended up getting my own piece from her and, you know, Emily, you, you hit it perfectly when you said, you know, it's an emotional connection to each piece of art, you know, Jamie, Jamie sketched a, um, an image of my dog on her first time in the sand hills, which is one of my favorite places to hunt. And it's just, um, a piece that, you know, if people could see me, it's right behind me. And it's something that mm-hmm. I look at every single day and I'm just really enjoy it. Um, you know, so I, I, chatted with Jamie about her, her artwork, because, you know, and I'm not going to give any spoilers or I'll let her talk a little bit more about how she got involved, but her journey to artwork as well as her journey into hunting was just so fascinating, And I feel like it's really inspiring for a lot of individuals out there. Um, and, you know, part of my role within the organization is that I oversee our women on the wing initiative and, you know, Jamie's, um, you know, focus on getting into hunting and providing food for her family. And it, it just all really strikes a chord with a lot of women out there. And so it was something that, you know, we wanted to share with everyone. Um, and I'm excited that she's here today. I'm excited Emily um, brought her to to the podcast.
1: A, a terrific transition. And Jamie, without further ado, welcome to the podcast where we're talking to you from your home in australia and what time is it right now jamie
3: it's 20 past four in the morning oh. <laughs> i am so I sorry she, she
0: went prize.
1: <laughs> i will take full responsibility for setting up this time inappropriately early across uh, across multiple oceans but thank you so very much for getting up early um you know tell us a little bit about um yourself did you grow up in australia
3: um well first thank you for having me on this podcast um yeah no i didn't grow up in australia um i'm i've got i'm a mom of three boys i wasn't born Excuse me, I wasn't born here in Australia, Um, I had a somewhat unusual childhood and upbringing. Um, Hmm. My father was the director of Thai Airways and we travelled a lot because of his work, I think. As soon as mum recovered from hospital, about a month old or less, I travelled with my parents from country to country, staying in short periods in hotels and apartments. And, well, I that, that was at work a lot of the time, day and night. Mum was out all the time and I was nanny 24-7 indoors, wow. always indoors. And um, I never spent any time outside, just in confined indoor spaces. Um, and I've always looked out the window and I've always wanted to go outside. And, you know, I couldn't because of... Um, what dad did for work and this pretty much went on until I was 10 years old Um, when my dad moved to the Philippines and he was stationed there for uh, two years and then that was when I first had my first experience of school Mm. Um, and then after two years there I was uh, sent to Australia to an all-girls Catholic boarding school where I had bars on my windows and I couldn't get out either. <laughs> so that wasn't too much fun until I was the age of eighteen, and then I was sort of free. <laughs> oh. So yeah, I finished school um, in Sydney, uh, in Sydney, in Australia, and I moved to um, Canberra where I am now for university. And I graduated with my marketing, advertising, and tourism degree. Yeah, after that was sorted, I met my husband Sean, and yeah, I had I had three have three beautiful boys, and and yeah, that's that's me.
0: So, you know, it's just it's it's remarkable when you think about the transition from you know, kind of being on the other side of the window, like you mentioned, and looking out and seeing, you know, those wild spaces, but not being able to access them. What was it like when you finally, like, started venturing outdoors? Like, did it, did it feel really big? Did it, like, I I would love to
3: hear, you know, how that felt. Oh, it was amazing. Um, It was really, really amazing. Yeah. When I moved to um, Canberra, they call it the Bush Capital. It's not many people know it's the capital of Australia because it's just, you know, it's small. It's like more like a big country town, which is su- surrounded by um, bushland. And, yeah, yeah just, just getting out there and into nature was, yeah, it was incredible. I felt free. And that's what my first, um, when I first started hunting, that's how I felt. And, yeah, I never wanted to give it up because of the connection to the land and the connection to the animals and, um, just you know, didn't want to live the life that um how my parents brought me up. Just you know, work, 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 and then mm-hmm. and then that's it. There's nothing else there.
1: Hmm. Was was hunting the sort of the first activity that you picked up when you started going outdoors?
3: Um, no, you know, um, I did a bit of hiking, um, a lot of camping. Um mm-hmm. fishing hunting wasn't really on on my radar um mm-hmm. when I first uh met my husband who you know who grew up you know um always most of the time outdoors all the time he loves outdoors and yeah, and he introduced me to to all of that and um Yeah, hunting definitely wasn't on my radar because I was vegan. (laughs) Or or um, plant-based. Vegan is a strong term, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and Marissa wrote about you in in a blog that uh, we ran on our websites about a year and a half ago and said, you know, you were drawn to a sustainable lifestyle through your husband who grew up as a hunter and as an angler um you know, what from your perspective now looking back on in hindsight um tell us about that you know that experience going out with your husband and experiencing um some something that was you know you didn't grow up doing hunting and, and eating animals and things like that was it a shock to you or did it feel natural
3: um no I, I think it felt It felt very natural just because of the reason why I went um, vegan in the first place, just because I don't um, like factory farming and I think, you know, you should know where your food comes from and, you know, humans get – well, we tend to get a bit lazy. We go to the supermarket. We buy our meat wrapped in plastic. We don't know how that animal grew up or, you know, um, you know, I think like a wild chicken or something – can live up to seven to 12 years while, you know, um, factory farm chickens get slaughtered um, within a couple of weeks or -hmm. until they reach their weight so they don't have to keep feeding them anymore. And it, you know, didn't feel right. Same with, um, you know, pigs and cattle. And, you know, I think we all know how, you know, how not, I'm not saying all um, farmers do that to the animals. I'm saying um, some and, I would like to know where my food and my Mm -hmm. meat comes from. So going out and shooting, I think my my first animal was a duck, um, an Australian wood duck. And yeah, it it felt very natural because it is in our DNA to hunt and gather. I think we have lost a lot of that um, as centuries pass. You know, we get, not all, you know, most get greedier we just want more and then so we domesticate more animals and we turn to the easy path rather than going out and getting something that we have been doing for thousands thousands of years and people have just forgotten how mm. yeah so it is natural to me to do that
2: uh so living out here in north dakota And even where I grew up back home in in Michigan, it's always interesting to hear people talk about not knowing where their food comes from or having a a strong disconnect from where their food comes from and the people who are producing it. Because, I mean, I look out my window and I see beef cattle, you know, or, or back home, it was just you're always surrounded by agriculture and you know your local farmers and you might not be sourcing food directly from them. But you, you get to know these people who are producing your food on, on a certain level. And it always just makes me sad to know to know that there's so many people who don't get that type of experience and they don't get to, to meet the, the caretakers who are doing an exceptional job, um, not only with their animal husbandry, but also with the way they, they take care of their land. And of course, you're always going to have room for improvement but um i just feel very very fortunate to to be able to live in the middle of nowhere rural america (laughs) and and to be able to to say you know i i live every day amongst people who who are producing our food and Mm -hmm. uh, but it is interesting there is a very strong push to help bridge that gap i see it very frequently especially with people my age with millennials um reconnecting to where your food comes from and it's a really cool way to to get people involved in the outdoors to to encourage them to have a hand in providing for themselves and to go out and and put the work into it and um, to be able to feed themselves and their families based on in part you know what they're out there working to to harvest Mm -hmm. it's it's really cool
1: there's an element there that's sort of a part of the natural human condition. It's like to provide for your family through, you know, you think about the history of deer camps in America, like going to fill the freezer and that, you know, that is part of the connection with the food, the land, and uh, providing sustenance for family. It's, It's a little bit different than like bringing home a paycheck. It's like I literally put food on the table and whether that's gardening or, or venison or, or whatever, you know, and you see that, you know, you can read about all the Leopold and he would write about that same concept. And it is, I just think it's really amazing that, you know, what we maybe would think of as an American perspective here, we are talking with Jamie in Australia, it's, it's human. It's human, we're in our DNA, as Jamie mentioned, to hunt, gather fish, and provide food for our sustenance, which is deeply connected to how we treat the land. So it it all weaves back together. If you want to find more birds this hunting season, look no further than the Onyx Hunt app. Private and public land boundaries just begin to scratch the surface as Onyx has countless tools to make you a safer and more successful hunter. Onyx is trusted by millions of hunters across the U.S., including me, and you can join them by downloading the app for a risk-free 7-day trial. Use the code Pheasants or Quail during checkout for 20% off your membership at onyxhunt.com. And you'll be glad to learn that a portion of all Onyx sales using these codes goes back to support Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's wildlife habitat mission, leading to better habitat, more wild birds, and creating more public lands for all of us. Thanks to Onyx. Um, Jamie, as, as I think about Australia... I really have no idea what you, you talk about. An Australian wood duck. It's like I didn't even know they had wood ducks. Uh,
0: I just had else? to Google it really quick. <laughs> it insane, does, it yeah. does not look like an American wood duck. I'm just telling you guys. <laughs> the only like,
1: I I went to an Australian wedding once, and they served kangaroo Wellington, which was off the hook, incredible. Um, but I I got no idea what other kind of um, animals you chase. What what do you hunt in Australia, Jamie?
3: Um, well, in terms of um, waterfowl, I think. Well, I've there's black Pacific ducks. There's um, the Australian wood ducks. There's um, teal. I think There's the grey teal. Mm. Um, that's um, around. Um, our our area and we've also got stubble quail we've got Mm -hmm. king quail and we've got brown quail there is an island um, actually this passing weekend we just had a long weekend um, for the queen's birthday once a year annually for four days you can hunt pheasants that are wild on this island called king island Um, it sits in between um, our biggest state at the bottom of um, uh, Victoria and Tasmania, uh, which is an island off Australia. So there's a little island called King Island. Um, I just thought that they just make cheese there, but apparently not, <laughs> not because you get King Island cheese and, and things. But yeah, I, I didn't know once a year for four days, you can hunt pheasants that just roam. It's the British settlers have brought them over and they sort of, just you know, fly free. So that's the only so place you, we can hunt pheasants.
1: Did you go this past weekend?
3: No, no, I didn't. I've only just learned about it. Okay. Yeah, it's it's not a very. Um, I think they've been doing it for four, four, five, five years now. Um, yeah, because I think the population sort of just boomed. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so they get hunters on and, yeah, get the pheasants, and I, I didn't know about it. It's very, huh. yeah, so it's definitely on very top of my list now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so as I introduced you, yeah, I introduced you at com, your website. So you're an artist. Um, did the artist part or the hunting part come first? in your in your life?
3: Probably the art. Okay. And and then the hunting. I like I like to try I try and weave it together. Um, uh-huh. I, I'd say 50-50 with hunting okay. and art.
1: So what got you um, initially interested in picking up and your art Is it accurate for me to describe it as um, kind of focused on using colored pencils? Yes. Right. That's that's a kind of okay. So when you first picked up a colored pencil, what did you start drawing?
3: I drew um, a red stag. So I drew my first red deer. um, Okay. As a um, as a gift for my husband, Um, and I also at the same time drew. a hunting dog named, named Jeddah. I think her name's Jeddah. <laughs> um, she's a beautiful black Labrador and she had um, a mallard in her mouth. Huh. Yeah. And um, her owner, Bailey, was very beautiful. She gave me um, the reference photo and I just started practicing from there that was my first dog portrait my first ever dog portrait or well, my first ever completed color pencil drawing was was that
0: so jb um you know i'd love i'd love to talk a little bit more about how you got started drawing because a lot of people when they would look at your artwork would think that you've been drawing your entire life and i know we talked about how you kind of started it around the same time but i think it's important to share how short of a period that's been, I mean, your work is incredible. And one of the things that really resonated with me when we spoke a couple years ago was uh, you, you made the comment, quote, uh, if you see a line, you can draw a line. And I could tell you right now, I see lots of lines and I cannot draw lines at all. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about like how you got started and that you know, transition into the, the art that people see today when they
3: look at your website? Um, well, because um, I started hunting and I wanted to draw um, just animals, wildlife, and just the hunt, you know, how um, animals will go out and hunt other animals or you know um, our dogs would retrieve um, birds and and all that just you know I, and we would train our dogs to to go out and you know do what they do best and i like to capture that moment when they're at their happiest and in the field i know there's something about them that really just caught my attention and really i do it's, it's struck deep down Mm-hmm. And I just really wanted to draw hunting dogs from then on. But I, I actually mm. picked up a colour pencil because when COVID hit, it hit um, a lot of people's work lives pretty hard, especially um, the building industry for my husband. And I mm. felt like I needed to do something to, to help him out. Mm. So I picked up a colour pencil. I YouTubed how to draw <laughs> with a colour pencil. Because that was the only um yeah, the only medium I had at home was my kids' color pencils.
1: Wow. I've watched a lot of things on YouTube and never made a dollar off of it. <laughs> <laughs> well done. I mean, that's amazing, Jamie. That's really, really cool. Um, and it's clear like the bird dog component. If you go to Jamie wildart.com like bird dogs really captivated you right from the get-go didn't they
3: yeah yeah so just yeah. one led to the other and then you know you start looking at um you know different bird dogs and then you start connecting with their owners and then they tell mm. you about their um their lives and you know and them as a hunter and them as a person and then you start to connect with them and then you connect with their dogs through a drawing. And it's just it's it's very, very special. Um, yeah.
2: If you if you look on Jamie's page, and I don't think I've seen you post one for a while, but there was a time when you would do the reference photo and then the drawing side by side. And it was seamless. I mean, you absolutely could not tell if you didn't know that one was a colored pencil drawing. There, I mean, I couldn't tell.
1: Huh.
3: It's incredible. Oh, thank you.
1: Do you Do you have a dog at home, Jamie?
3: Yes, I do. What, what
1: kind of dog do you have?
3: <laughs> He's a boxer. He's not a bad dog at all. He's more like a. I'd say a cat dog, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't bark. He wouldn't hurt anything except for mm. this one chicken that flew into our backyard. And I think he tried <laughs> to play with it and he might've been a bit too rough. And he brought it to my, um, yeah, to the doorstep and he looked at me very, very guilty. Like, Oh no, what's happened to it?
1: <laughs> uh, so it, when you look at your website, you know, you've drawn English setters, uh, Nova Scotia duck tolling retrievers, golden golden retrievers, labs, wire hairs. You, got, you have so many different breeds. It, if you were going to get a bird dog, would you have one in mind?
3: I've got a few in mind. Yeah. <laughs> we all have a few <laughs> in mind. What do you have in mind? Um, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong. Is it? Bichler? Is it Visla? Yeah. Visla? Yeah. 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 Um, I really, really wanted one of those. Um, mm. I think uh, Rich, his name was, had um, Hunter. I drew Hunter. And mm. he was a three-legged hunting dog. And he was very special. He was a very special dog. And he was beautiful. And I, I loved drawing him. Just, yeah. um, you know watching him through um, his page and, you know, just watching the drive and what they do and the passion was, you know, because it I took a couple of months to draw him because he, he, he gave me a hard time because i never actually drew that colour before. But he, I think he still remains one of my um, favourites and best drawings because of what he projects as a character. Yeah, you know, you, I draw um a certain dog and then you follow their journey and it makes it that little bit more special. And I've been wanting that breed um ever since. But then I then I drew, Marissa's dog? And I'm like, Oh, I really want a German short hair pointer <laughs> as well. This one is also very beautiful. We're not about this call <laughs> with German
0: short hair pointers. And <laughs> I've drew I've drawn a few
3: of them and I'm starting to love them more and more. And you know, you see their um they have a son, like, I don't know, childlike character. My my best friend, Mel, she takes me hunting for deer, and she's got one, and other they beautiful. Mm. And they're very active and, you know, very smart. And I really want one of those, too. So I think I've got a, a fair few that I, I would love to have. <laughs>
1: what, what breeds do you most often see in Australia?
3: Um... Probably Labradors and Golden Retrievers. Okay. I think every time I go out, oh, yep, that's a Labrador. That's the Golden Retriever. Yeah.
1: So it's not just America's dog. It's Australia's dog, too, the Labrador Retriever. Yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: they are very, very, very popular over here as well.
3: And there's the Chihuahua. I always see a Chihuahua somewhere, anywhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so when you think about... Drawing dogs. Is there one component that is particularly challenging for you, or like you, you just spend a lot the majority of your focus when you're drawing a dog?
3: Definitely the eyes. I think if you get the eyes, um, eyes are the windows of the soul, and if you get the eyes right, some most of the portraits I've drawn, they have a a reflection in their eyes of the scene that they could see. And sometimes that Mm. could be a person in there, you know, their trainer, their owner, um, you know, just like a landscape in in their eyes. I think once you get the eyes, right. It projects on a whole new level.
1: Hmm. So I've heard eyes are the windows to the soul before. But the second part of that explanation was absolutely stunning. And I've never heard anybody describe that. How when you're drawing the eyes, you're thinking about what that dog is seeing, whether that's their owner. I mean, that's beautiful. Has, has somebody, uh, did that occur to you or is that some something you read along the way? Or wh- where where did that inspiration come from? No,
3: because every time I draw the eyes and... um you know, you, you sort of um, start to, I know this sounds really silly, you, know, you start to feel and you start to experience what that dog is seeing and, mm. you know, um, that particular dog in that situation, um, whether it be in the middle of the woods, in the middle of the field, um, you know, they're, you know, they're just there happy doing doing their thing.
1: That's beautiful. I re- really, really love that. Um what what's next for you drawing wise what uh, what's that vision out there that hurdle that you haven't yet tackled that you're you're um, in the back of your mind interested in drawing
3: I would like to draw a lot more um, wildlife like wildlife um, scenes particularly um, animals hunting um, you know Doing doing their thing and surviving and being a hunter, I. Mm. But um, I also want to do a lot with um, conservation. I want to do big pieces that can contribute to a, a good cause, and um, I try to aim for that. I've um, Only been drawing for two years, so once uh, one big piece a year, so I've donated um, two big um, two big pieces to meat eater, um, for their, their cause. And I would like to do a lot more for other causes to help mm. hunting and conservation and the environment.
2: Yeah. The piece you did for
3: meat eater, that was the one with the wolves, wasn't it? Um, that one I drew for Stephen Renella and a print, okay. um, sold, uh, towards um conservation so that one got auctioned off and the one before that was mountain lion with hounds oh sure and um yeah and that one was also one of my favorites
2: yeah I the wolf one was very striking to me because uh there's several wolves in this and they're they're tearing apart a carcass and I mean it's just very um I don't know just you don't sugarcoat any part of that I mean it's just very raw and and real and um it I just thought that that was a,
3: a very striking piece a lot of people weren't very into that <laughs> I have to admit <laughs> um they wanted me to you know you know why don't you draw a bison you know standing beautifully you know beautifully in the field or a wolf you know um also standing there being a beautiful in the woods Mm -hmm. and and i said well that's real but this is also real and i Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that i didn't want people to lose touch and what um what is real and that's that's i think that's what steve wanted to wanted as well just to show that this is nature um and this is what happens and everyone's you know Whoops! Got
1: to eat. mm <laughs> Mm-hmm. That predator-prey relationship really strikes a chord with you. It, which is, because you've mentioned that a couple times. Like, uh, you aspire to paint or draw, um, kind of animals, wildlife surviving, right? Like um, that. You're not after just aesthetic landscapes. You're trying to capture the trueness in nature which is really interesting as a juxtaposition with your background you know growing up inside and you know being vegetarian and now you're like give it to me straight give it to me real give it to me raw give it to me real raw and you just you you really really um yeah i flipped the switch <laughs> yeah have you thought, like, consciously about that? Is it, yes. Or is that just natural for
3: you? I, I felt very caged up
1: mm-hmm. for a very,
3: very long time. Um, and that's putting it lightly. And okay. when I um, went out there, I felt a lot of freedom. I just want to draw what is, what is real. Um, well, you know... Drawing just just a tiger or a lion or um, you know a bison or a wolf just on mm-hmm. its own, um, just being in nature is 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 real. But I also want to capture the other aspect that a lot of people, I guess, artists don't don't try to because mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm I'm not sure why I don't see too much of it um, blood and guts and <laughs> and all that. But that's that that's what happens, and I'd like to. Um, try and put that into a form of beauty in through my drawing and because this is how they survive this is what they do and it's very natural you know something's got to die for something to live mm-hmm. and it's you know it's a circle of life and there shouldn't mm-hmm. be any um, you know um, I guess criticism there. And it is very real. And it is also, I think, also very beautiful in in a way. One of the social media posts you made, uh, I think it was a
2: little while ago. um, It was a a picture of a duck that you were processing. And you said, you know, this to me is a form of art. As you were taking this from from a, a duck that you had shot in the field and then processing it and turning it into food for your family. And you call it a form of art, and I just never heard someone talk about that process in in those words exactly. But I mean, that's it's a beautiful
3: comparison. Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, there is um, beauty in life, but I think there is also beauty in in death because I think when, when you think about it, um, it's just you know I'm um, watching it. Um, watching that duck thrive, and you know, just being out, just just living, and then us as a hunter and and gatherer, we we take its life, and we should appreciate it, and we should admire it, and we should respect it. And that's what I want to do through um, through my art in the future. I did, you know, think about even drawing that image that you were talking about and I want, and then people shouldn't look at it and think of it as, you know, that's cruel or that's mean. Um, I just want people to look at it and think this is life. This is what it is and appreciate the beauty in that and not just see it as someone killing something for the sport of it because this is it's not what we do. We don't right. shoot pheasants. We don't shoot quails. We don't shoot ducks for the sport or the trophy. Um, you know, the meat is a trophy. But, you know, we want to have that respect for the wildlife as as well. It's, all,
1: it's almost disrespectful that it you just think about these animals in sort of a pastoral, beautiful way and are naive or ignore the fact that they're you know something else has to die for them to live and sort of that's what you dive into with your artwork and you know it's clearly open the creative facets of your mind you know where you're looking at wildlife and their constant struggles to survive as extremely beautiful part of the you know just being alive on this planet whether you're a human being a bird a wolf it's like in order for them to perpetuate that something else has to give up their life to move forward yeah oh is that a, a accurate um overview of kind of your thought creative process there
3: yeah yeah i um like you know for for example you know when i was uh plant-based you grew a Mm -hmm. lot of fruit and vegetables you know how many insects and things would have to die to plant this um fruit and veg uh, in the ground so um even if you're a vegetarian or vegan you're still you know you're you're still killing something for you know for us so something else to live for the plant to live and you know it's it's this, this cycle and you know i see everything um I I see that as, you know, it's a circle of life. I see that as beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything in nature is, I think, is beautiful. Um, And I want to capture a lot more of that in my my artwork. Um, Yeah.
0: Is there, um, you know, when you think about
3: the United States and we've got Pheasants Forever
0: and Quail Forever, we've got, um, you know, other organizations with different wildlife focus. Do you guys have something similar in Australia where there's groups that are, working to protect some of those landscapes where maybe you find those different species of quail or or duck or um and just helping to protect those places
3: yeah so we've got um field and game australia which you know they they work really hard to um um build habitats and things like that for for ducks and birds and you know quails and yeah, so that we've we've got that um as well, which is which is really good. And you know, they've got, you know, pretty strict guidelines and we've got seasons and you know, how to you know, courses on how to hunt properly and not just you know, wound them and you know they've got all all of that as well and you know, people can become members and you know, donate um to the to the cause. Because it's a, it is a um, non-profit organization, and yeah, you know, these people have a lot of passion for, you know, um, hunting um, quails and and ducks and you know and things like that. So we've we've got that. No, there's also you know um, Australian Deer um, Association, which uh, mm. also helps you know manage our, our deer population, and you know. Um, Help us hunters with um, you know, a lot, a lot of aspects of deer hunting, hmm. and I've been deer hunting a, a few times, and that is my main source of red meat um, at the moment. Which is yeah, which is great. <laughs>
1: what cool. is? It, do you have a a favorite wild game meat of all the things that you've hunted?
3: Um, probably hare. I think hare. Well. Um, I shot a hair, um, my my first, um, I I shot my first, um, hair and I made a Sardinian hair stew, um, with, with my husband from Hank Shaw's recipe. And yeah, he's brilliant. He's so brilliant. And he, (laughs) everyone keeps saying that, you know, hair is, you know, it's tough and, you know, it's, Mm. you know, if you can't cook it right, it's really tough eating. And he's just turned it's my favorite dish. Probably definitely huh. my favorite dish, hands down. So yeah, he's he's Tank
0: will like his recipes are reaching Australia, Bob.
3: Right on. Yeah, he's I, he's amazing.
2: The the impact that Hank Shaw and and of course there's several people working in that realm, but um just even for me personally keeping new parts of the animal that I would have discarded before and Mm. being able to introduce people to different recipes and, and have them be exceptionally good, not because I'm a great cook, but because I can follow instructions decently. Well, Um, (laughs) I mean, I just like, what a cool impact to have Mm. to be able to open those new doors for people and to be able to know that you are having a direct impact in the amount of, meat that that is taken from an animal and and utilized to the fullest extent and not just ground into sausage or not kept at all. Um, The past couple deer I've shot, I've kept the tongue out of them for the first time and, you know, just things that I never would have thought to do before. But then when you really dive into that, you know, making sure you're using the most from each animal and trying new recipes. Um, Yeah, I just, you know, what a what a cool impact to, to be able to have.
1: And it really connects back to Jamie's earlier point about, you know, sort of that connection with the, you know, something has to die in order for you to eat. And then, you know, if you connect it one step further and you make it taste good and then you savor it all that much more. Um, and it does come full circle for all of us. Uh, yeah, go, go ahead. Uh, Marissa,
0: I was just going to ask what your what your uh, family and your kiddos think about the meals if they if they enjoy them or if that helps kind of connect the dots for them
3: too. Oh, they they definitely love it. It's um even when I shoot you know, the quails and and the ducks, I keep the gizzards. A lot of some some people toss them, I keep them. I love them. Mm. Um, I you know I clean them up and you know flour egg and then crumb them. And the kids call them crunchy nuggets <laughs> <laughs> and they love it. So I'm like, oh, can we have crunchy nuggets again? And I like, "Oh, we're going to have to go get some more, <laughs> get some more nuts. Funny.
1: Um, so for, uh, we'll, we'll round the corner here because uh, we've woken you up in the middle of the night. <laughs> so we'll, we'll let you get back to bed because it literally is 4 a.m. in Australia right now. But... Um well we're on the corner to closing thoughts. Before I do, I want to point people to Jamie's website so you can see all, all of these um drawings of, of bird dogs, t- tremendous number of bird dogs at Jamie J A M I E WildArt.com, or you can follow Jamie on Instagram at Jamie then underscore J at Jamie wild art underscore on Instagram. Let's go around the horn for, for some closing thoughts. And we'll, we'll start with Marissa. Um, As you think about the conversation today or any, any final questions you have for Jamie, uh, um, uh, what's your closing thought, Marissa?
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't think I have any questions. I think the most profound thing with talking to Jamie and, you know, other individuals, um, you know, regardless of what their passions are, is that, you know, this is something that, like you mentioned, you really just started over the last couple of years and you see the impact and the transition that it's made in your life. And I think that you're such an incredible example of how trying something new and experiencing new adventures, new opportunities, whatever it may be, can really transition everything for you. And mm. it's just a reminder that, you know, to, to get out of your comfort zone sometimes and try something different, you just never know where it will take you.
1: Yeah, really well said. Emily, your closing thought.
2: Oh, man, it's hard to summarize everything. Uh, this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you, Jamie, for for being here. um I think to me the the biggest things that spoke to me during this discussion was just um, your open mindedness throughout your journey and and how you've allowed things to to impact you and mold you and uh, into into who you are now being a hunter and an artist and um, just seeing the care that you put into your work and hearing you talk about it but then also hearing you talk about Even though you've already, you've only been drawing for a couple of years, you're, you're already looking beyond just the paycheck you get from it or the personal satisfaction you get from it. And you're like, how, how can my work benefit conservation as a whole? And not not just conservation in your backyard, but Mm -hmm. conservation here in the US. That, I mean, I don't know if you'll, if you'll ever get to travel over here and see the impacts of that. But I mean, you're just the, the ability for you to, see the bigger picture, and to immediately jump headfirst into giving back. Um, I think a lot of people could learn a lot from, from the example you're setting.
1: Yeah, I, to tie that together, and I think about the podcast that Emily and Marissa, we've been on together and some of those conversations that the Path to the Uplands, it is sort of a brand that we we talk about. And some of those entry points are food. Some of those entry points are the dogs. Some of it are, is habitat. Then I also think about conversations, Marissa and Emily, we've had talking about social media and how people get engaged in Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, our, our wildlife habitat mission. And, you know, unprompted, Jamie's talked about Hank's Sch- in Instagram and meat eater and Danielle Pruitt. And I mean, my goodness is the world gotten smaller in the last 15 years. I mean, it just, you know, here we're talking with Jamie in the middle of the night at Australia, (laughs) right? About upland birds and dogs and things we care about in North Dakota, Nebraska, and Minnesota respectively cared about in Australia too. And uh, it shows how much of an impact we can have as individuals coming together as a broader community that cares about the uplands, cares about the planet um, and clean water and wildlife. And um, it only took Jamie waking up at four in the morning to, to, to share that with us, to bring it all together. But I agree with, with both of you. I yeah, just really starting startlingly beautiful conversation when you boil it down, and I'll always be left, Jamie, with your when you're drawing a photo or drawing a dog, the visualization of the dog looking at something they love as you're drawing. That is just startlingly it's a arrestingly beautiful uh, statement to me. So thank you for sharing that with us. What 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 final thoughts do you have at uh 4:30 oh, in the morning Australia time. Probably
3: need a, <laughs> a coffee. <laughs> um, but no thank you so much for having me. It's been yeah, it's been great. It's been a real pleasure and um I really like to do a lot more towards um conservation and put my artwork on the map and see it make a difference. That's that's my end goal with, with my artwork. But for now, it's drawing bird dogs, just connecting with their owners and connecting with their experiencing and them teaching me different things that I, you know, never knew about. Um, mm. You know, it's the conservation aspect. Uh, in in the states and you know just getting to know um the dogs through through drawing them and i think that's you know it's just a powerful connection that i get through the artwork and i'd like to you know push a lot more artwork out there that will make a big difference
1: well you have a powerful talent thank you very much for for sharing it with the uplands and for sharing your story with us. Appreciate it.
3: Uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> it's been really great. Uh,
1: JamieWildArt.com or JamieWildArt underscore at Instagram. And you can check out all of Jamie's beautiful, beautiful drawings. Uh, Emily, Marissa, thank you so much. Uh, it's just, two o'clock in the afternoon um where we are so
0: i need to go back to bed too (laughs) Uh,
1: thank you both for making time today uh i'm bob safier thanking you the listener for uh um sharing the journey with us on this episode of on the wing podcast and as always follow the dog you never know you might end up in australia but something good's gonna rise there too thanks for listening everybody